Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Wow. Am I on? Am I on? Good to go. Wow. Amazing, amazing. I need a, a, a bigger podium, but it's all good. I'll figure it out. But wow, what a, what a time of, of worship. You know, somebody asked me earlier, what, what do you think worship is? And it's, it's clear you can worship God with everything you do. You worship God 24-7, your actions, your motives. You set your life apart as an offering to him. But just when we're in church, we kind of make that definition a little more narrow in a good way. You're talking to God about God and giving him an offering of your attention, your voice, and your heart. And this, this sermon for today, it's, it's a high bar, it's a high standard, but it, it's a command and a promise that the Lord gave to the church that we were born in. So if you're a born again believer, God has actually deposited this prophecy, this promise, and the burden to see this break forth. He's deposited that hunger on the inside of your heart. So whether or not this offends you, because part of this message today will be offensive, because I'm going to say things about a standard that we as a church currently are not at. But I want to remind you that as you get offended, you actually have a deposit on the inside of your heart that Jesus put there that actually agrees with what I'm saying. And the, the title of the sermon is, is Firepower. That is cool. That's an awesome image. It's firepower. The church was born in firepower. So our, our text that we're coming out of today is Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit and the day of Pentecost. If you go to our church, you're familiar with the passage, but we're coming out of it and, and it's going to be great. So I'm going to read, we're going to pray, and, and we're going to get after it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through 21. It says, now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind came blowing from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the providence of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own languages about the great deeds God has done. All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying they are drunk on new wine. But Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and he addressed them. You men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, know this and listen carefully to what I say. In spite of what you think, these men are not drunk, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it will be, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be changed to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes and that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. 
Let's pray before we, before we get into this. Jesus, I, I pray that you just speak through me today, God. Don't allow me to take out any of the weight of this scripture. This was breathed by you, Holy Spirit. So will you breathe on us again, Lord? Can you allow us to comprehend, to understand what you're saying here and have the faith to accept your promise and wait on it, Lord Jesus? I'm asking for a desperation over us in this room, God. I'm asking for a hunger. Lord, we just want you. We just want you, God. So Lord, I pray you open our ears, open our hearts and speak through me today, Lord. And I thank you for your word and your power, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, amen. amen. The book of Acts, the story of the church. And, and I love how the prophet Joel spoke. It starts out with, in the last days. So Peter when he stands up to the, to the confused crowd, he's saying, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So I think it's pretty safe to say that if the last days started 2,000 years ago at Pentecost and the world hasn't quite ended yet, I could say we're still in the last days. And if Jesus said, if through the prophet Joel that he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh in the last days, this prophecy through the prophet Joel still applies to his bride, the church. And the burden that, that I have on my heart is because I feel as if the bride has neglected one of the most important promises and one of the greatest desires on the heart of Jesus. Pastor Matt says that every Sunday, Jesus said he came to cast fire upon the earth. He has a baptism for you to be baptized with. And he's just groaning and crying and he's just so excited for it to be released. But then he, he died, he rose again. And he said, wait here in the upper room and I will send my spirit to you. He's so excited in this moment because he came and he said he has a baptism and the, and the moment's coming and the church goes and they wait and then it happens. And, and he's so excited because his heart, the plans and desires of his heart are being fulfilled in his bride in the book of Acts. But it was never intended to die out. It was never intended to burn out because when God has a dream, it's a dream for all of eternity. When God has a plan, it's a plan for forever. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is forever. His word, it never returns void and it's never contradictory. When he has a promise and it still applies to us, then there's a groan in Christ's heart to see the promise fulfilled in his church. And we see that the firepower in the early church, it was from the waiting. And, and there's, there's a couple components to what happens at Pentecost. One of them is prophecy. The other one is, is obedience to the prophecy. Right? So, so Jesus says to them, and, and one thing I want to break down is a lot of people think the firepower comes the moment you get saved automatically. That's one thing we're going to break down tonight. You can, if you're taking notes, you can do this on your own time. The disciples got saved in John 20 for sure. And if you read through the Gospels and through the book of Acts, but especially through the Gospels with, with the intention of finding out when the disciples got saved, it's kind of hard to find out because they get baptized early on, but then they, they profess that Jesus is Lord pretty early on, but they're confused about his intentions and what he's trying to do. And they're following this guy who hasn't paid the price for their sins yet. So it's like, are they saved? What's going on? But one thing, every denomination anybody from any theological view can agree on is the disciples got saved in John 20. That still wasn't enough for Jesus. He still told them to wait, 
for the fire to fall. It was a promise. He said, go and wait. And I will send my spirit to equip you to do the work of ministry. They took the promise and we see it fulfilled. Their promise becomes our testimony. And one thing about a testimony is it reveals the father's heart. And like I said, the father is eternal. His plans are forever. So when you share a testimony that reveals the father's heart, you are actually prophesying for the testimony to be reproduced in the earth. That's why the book of Revelation says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What Jesus did, what he paid for, the full atonement is the testimony of Jesus. And when you proclaim the testimony of Jesus, you are prophesying for the testimony to be reproduced today. There was the promise into the testimony and we need to turn it into our expectation. the firepower that's been forgotten and neglected needs to become our expectation. And he wants us to prophesy it until the breakthrough comes so that Christianity becomes more than just being saved. Following Jesus is more than just being discipled, although you need to be getting discipled, you need to be in church, you need to be doing these things, but there was a baptism to be baptized with. I believe that the history of the church, it needs to become our confidence in God's intention for his bride today. And one thing about the church is that Jesus's plans for the church is that they would exceed his ability to do ministry. He said, it is better that I go. He said, you abide in me and I in you. You ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done for you. And he also said, I am going soon, but it, it, it's, it's better that I leave. I will send my spirit to you. It has been his intention all along that the bride is actually better at ministry than Jesus is himself. I know Zach has come up here and said before, if Jesus was still on the earth, everybody would be fighting for his attention. But he said, it's better that I go. I'm gonna send my spirit to my bride. So you're not gonna be fighting for one man's attention. My bride is gonna be reproduced and spread throughout the earth. And the same fire that Christ brought in his ministry is gonna set the world ablaze. I believe Jesus was so excited to leave so he could watch his ministry expand. So we got to lay out uh, again theologically. I, I want us to understand what is this baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire? Because a lot of people think that when you become a Christian, do you get the fire? Do you not get the fire? Do you have the Holy Spirit unless you can speak in tongues? There are just so many questions. So one thing I want to break down is I, I like to call it the baptism of salvation. And that's when you get saved. So before you're saved, the, the Holy Spirit is, is following you. He's nudging you. He's tugging on your heart. But there's this veil over you of pride and ignorance, and it's keeping you from getting saved. But God is faithfully pursuing you, and he's calling you to be his. And when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you repent from your sins, and you turn into him, then the Holy Spirit that has been following you is actually baptizing you into Jesus Christ, the church, and eternal life. He's forgiving you of your sins. He's washing you clean. And as the Holy Spirit baptizes you into eternal life, he's giving himself as a deposit guaranteeing your eternal, your eternal salvation. That's the baptism of salvation. And the baptism of salvation is usually accompanied by the public declaration of your faith, which is being baptized in water. That's a public declaration of your baptism of salvation. Does that make sense? 
but the baptism of fire, the baptism of Holy Spirit and fire is a different experience. Like I said, people fight about when the disciples got saved, but one thing we can all agree on is John 20, they got saved. Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead. They confess with their mouth, believe in their heart. He breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he says he forgives them. The disciples got saved officially, officially in John 20. But Acts chapter two, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. And the way I like to imagine this one is that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit is dunking you into eternal life in the church. But when you get the baptism of fire, Jesus Christ is the baptizer and he's dunking you into the fire of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus says, I have a baptism for you to be baptized with. He's the baptizer. He's the one dunking you and filling you with the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Does this make sense? Am I breaking this down? So my frustration and the burden that I have on my heart is we cannot afford to end on the first baptism. I'm so glad people are getting saved. I'm so glad they're loving Jesus and pursuing the Lord. But there's a reason Jesus commanded a bunch of Christians to go to the upper room. He commanded his disciples to get both. He commanded his disciples to get both. There's the prophecy then the testimony and he's burning and aching for it to become our expectation and one way I, I, I like to think of it is that salvation it puts you in right standing with God and it seats you in Christ in heavenly places salvation the way I like to think is it kind of makes your heart look like Jesus you get saved, you get put in right standing, you get washed, you're, you're redeemed, you're renewed. It makes your heart look like Jesus. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was so excited about, it gives you the actions that Jesus did. So instead of walking around saying you have Jesus deep down in your heart, you actually get to do what Jesus did. Your salvation is almost like of, of course it affects your actions, it affects your behavior, but it's this inward transformation of you being born again and your spirit and the Holy Spirit becoming one. But the baptism in fire that brings the firepower of God actually makes you look like Jesus from a distance. And I believe that, that Jesus is desiring for us to have this, this fire of personal intimacy that comes with salvation. But he doesn't want us to end there. He wants us to be a people ablaze with his glory, a people ablaze and set apart for his mission. And, and I, was, I was talking to somebody that, that our personal relationship and our growth with him needs to be what goes forward and carries us through life. I don't think you should ever enter a situation that you haven't already been equipped in the secret place to handle with him, right? So when we fall into sin, it's because you're stepping into an arena that you haven't already been in in the quiet place. And all this comes with your personal relationship with him. And he's, he's desiring that the fire in your belly that comes with salvation is what lights the path of you walking through life. It equips you for every challenge. But he wants us to also have this fire on our body that is contagious so that we don't just have some characteristics of Jesus but we actually look like him and people can see from a distance that his ministry that he did in his three and a half years is actually being reproduced through everybody who calls on his name because it's available to everybody who calls on his name. And, and just one of the, the struggles with the church is we're so about being saved and nothing more. There's more to Christianity than just being saved. Obviously, we want to save souls. But when you settle just for being saved, you're going to have a little fire in your belly and nothing else. 
Let me tell you practically what it looks like to settle for just being saved. You're gonna be that one person in your office who nobody knows that you're a Christian, but when I ask you about it, you're gonna say, well, I, I try to tell them about Jesus by continually showing up on time for work. I try to tell them about Jesus by working hard. I try to tell them about Jesus just because I, I, I don't gossip. All good things, right? But you're not gonna minister the way Jesus did just from a little flame in your belly. You need to carry the fire with you on your head where Peter and John, they couldn't help but look over at the man who was crippled and said, money I cannot give you, but what I can give you is the power of Jesus Christ. I say to you, get up and walk. Do you think that Peter and John could, could work at any place for an extended period of time and you ask them how they're doing ministry and they say, well, I minister by showing up on time and working harder than everybody else. There needs to be a fire on the inside of us that's cultivated through personal intimacy with Jesus Christ, but that cannot be our destination. It is his command that we push forth into becoming people who are set ablaze on the outside as well. And there's this lie that when we pursue power, when we pursue the power of the Holy Spirit, then we will suddenly forget about the heart. But there's this thing, I, I'm, I'm stuck on the word personality. And I believe that personality is the unique way that you as an individual display your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and your personality is your unique way of showing the world your soul. The main way that Jesus Christ displays his personality is through the miraculous wonder-working power of God. His manifest presence in a room, a word from one of his saints that literally changes the atmosphere, changes your life. It's the obvious portrayal of the Father's heart. His personality is miraculous. So if you say that you're drifting away from the heart of God and you're drifting away from focusing on love just because you're, you want power as well, that's, that's like saying you can have a relationship with somebody, but once you start learning about their personality, you're actually not caring about their heart. It makes, it makes no sense, right? And I, I, was, I was praying a few weeks ago and I asked the Lord, I, I said, Lord, if you could teach the most practical thing of all time, what would you teach about? And I feel like he said miracles. Because miracles are the movements of God that you can see right in front of your eyes. So if we were actually gonna ask the Lord to teach us about something that's not quite as practical, it's harder to comprehend because you're not really seeing it, he would actually teach us about salvation. Did you see Jesus on the cross? Have you met Jesus in the flesh and shook his hand? Did you see him get raised up to life and you see his scars and felt his scars? No. But the one thing we never deny about our faith is that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. We have no physical proof that we've seen in person of this taking place, and yet it's the cornerstone of our faith that we will never deny. And I'm glad that's the one thing we'll never deny, of course. But if Jesus were to tell us about the most practical thing about him and his character, he would show us and teach us about miracles because it's him demonstrating his heart for all to see. And he chose his bride to demonstrate his will and his heart on display for the world to see. Jesus in his ministry and in the three and a half years on earth, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's either eight miles or 12 miles. He only covered that much ground, eight miles. Do we really think that God in the flesh covering eight miles in all of his ministry, do we really think he wouldn't want the church to surpass that? 
It's his intention. And, and one thing about Jesus saying, greater works will you do. He's talking in number. He's talking in width, but he's also talking in depth. He's also talking in, in impressiveness. Jesus healed others by them going up to him and grabbing his cloak. Jesus healed others by laying hands on them. And certainly we know he healed others by giving a word from far away. But he said greater works. Jesus healed others by them going up to him and touching his clothes. Paul healed others by cutting off his clothes and sending it in the mail. Jesus healed others by them going up to him in the flesh and touching his clothes. Paul healed others by mailing his clothes. Peter healed others by them crossing his shadow. They never even touched him. It's always been his intention for his bride to surpass his, impress, his impressiveness in ministry. And I, I believe that, that Satan has deployed a counterfeit to the baptism of fire and of the Holy Spirit. Because we know that our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's, it's against these evil powers, these rulers, these principalities in, in dark places and in high places. Our battle isn't simply against sin. Our battle isn't simply against politicians. We are fighting against the spiritual forces of darkness. So when God sends a baptism to the earth to equip his saints to do the work of ministry, then Satan is certainly going to deploy a counterfeit baptism. Because what God creates, Satan counterfeits. And we all know we live in a city that has more churches per capita, per square foot than any other church in the, than any other city in the nation, in the nation. And we respect other churches, we respect other believers, but we know that this city just seems to be dry. There doesn't seem to be this wellspring of revival that's just bubbling underneath the earth. It just, it just doesn't quite seem to be there. And it's because I believe that there's Christians that moved into this area long ago, but somewhere along the way, we got hijacked with a religious baptism instead of the baptism of the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I wanna break down what I believe Satan's agenda against the city of Grand Rapids is. Is that cool? And we don't talk about Satan. We don't talk about demons just because it's fun, just because it's whatever, because we're trying to give glory to the enemy. No, we're, we're not going to be ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not going to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. We're going to be aware of what he's trying to accomplish and we are going to push forth with the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's gonna pierce right through his strategy. I believe that Satan has deployed a religious principality over this city. And Pastor Matt explained on Sunday what a religious principality is. Essentially, it's a prince or a ruling spirit over a certain area. And it seeks to establish its own agenda through ideas, through, through ideologies, through teachings, even through just atmospheres. You ever walk into a room and you just feel like it's off? You just feel like it's different. You can just sense in your spirit something is off. A principality seeks to implement its agenda over whatever area it's ruling through ways like that. And since a principality is a ruling spirit, it has many spirits that are under it. And the, the spirits that everybody knows are called demons. They're the lowest level. They're, they're the foot soldiers. But a principality is a high-ranking one. And I believe there's a religious principality over the city, and it's deployed four spirits or ideas that fuel us into its agenda. And it's specifically attacking the church. And I believe the number one idea that it's deployed is idolatry of logic. It's, it's attacked 
Western culture. It's attacked Western Christianity so much to the point that we can't comprehend parts of scripture. So even pastors are disconnecting from the Old Testament and they're just saying, let's just talk about how Jesus died for our sins and let's disconnect from the things about scripture that we don't really understand. We wanna stick with what we do understand. It's the idolatry of logic. What happens and what it looks like when you idolize logic is that the only things you accept from God and about God are things that have been filtered through your mind already. You say, God, I'm not gonna take anything from you that I don't understand, but you can give me what I already do understand. You're not giving him your heart. You're not letting him transform your heart. When you go into the secret place and spend time with God, he will deposit things into your heart and mind that you could not possibly comprehend. But this idea, this strategy that's deployed over Western culture in the city of Grand Rapids is an idea that says, don't accept anything from God that you don't already know. And a side effect of this is when you worship a God who's passed through your logic, you either worship a God who just looks like you or you just worship, you just worship your own God entirely. And the idolatry of logic feeds you directly into a religious spirit because religion without the spirit of God is simply practices and traditions but no power or movement or intimacy of the Holy Spirit. It's God without the mystery. It's his ways without the mystery. It's just religion, tradition, and practice. That's the idolatry of logic and the fruit of it. And I believe that the next attack that Satan has launched is a spirit of offense. And this is one that has attacked the church. It's, it's attacked ministries that, that my brother and I have been a part of. It's, it's hit so close to home. It's the spirit that whispers in the ear of Christians where they say to other believers, if you share a testimony with me about God, you're saying you're a better Christian than me. If you share a new revelation or a deeper revelation of scripture and God's character that I don't understand yet, you're actually attacking my faith and you're trying to say you're a better believer than I am. It's the spirit of offense. The spirit does not rejoice at the sound of a testimony. Christians under the influence of this spirit, they don't get deep in intimacy with the Lord or in worship of God. And they don't get deep into community because they're going to run into believers that are more mature than them. And a Christian who's stuck under the spirit of offense will not like Christians that are more mature than they are because they'll take that as an immediate attack on their personal relationship with Jesus. So what do you do when you're a Christian who's stuck with a spirit of offense? You're offended at the move of God. You're offended at the depth of God. You're going to stick with religion where everybody does the same thing. Everybody follows the same thing. Every Sunday, it's an hour flat, an hour, 15 minutes flat, and then you're out of there. You take communion this way, you do this that way. Nobody gets offended because everybody's doing the same thing. I can't be hurt that you're a deeper Christian than me if I never know, because all we do is tradition. The spirit of offense will feed people directly into religious lukewarmness. And I believe the next one is a spirit of fear that is over many believers and it's over the church in the city of Grand Rapids. And this is one that's, that's scared of condemnation and the fire of hell, even though you, you've already been saved. And this spirit of fear that's over many Christians also keeps them from the depths of God because they're scared if they learn a new thing about Jesus, they're actually going to encounter a part of him that may reject them. If you're scared of the fire of hell, it's gonna keep you from the depth of God because you're scared that you're gonna find out you haven't been doing enough. You're gonna stay 
You're just gonna stay ankle deep. And this is a spirit that whispers in the ear of Christians. And it just says, stay where you are. And what you don't know about God won't hurt you. Because if you're scared of the fire of hell as a Christian, you're only going to know the message of the gospel. And you're going to subconsciously choose not to dive into any other characteristics of God because you think those characteristics might bring about a revelation of him rejecting you. You're scared to be condemned so you don't learn his heart. So what does the spirit of fear do to Christians? It will lead you to religion. It will lead you just to basic practice. It will lead you just to get saved, stay saved, and don't do anything else. And, and I believe the, the last one that, that I have on my list, there, certainly there's many more, but the, the last one I have is a spirit of greed. And this is the one that the Pharisees had. They had power, they had influence. And when Jesus came on the scene, they weren't concerned about truth. They weren't concerned about the Messiah because they had set themselves up so well with power and influence that even if a savior did come that they, that they, would, that they had been waiting for, they would still reject him because they were so focused on their greed and influence. And a spirit of greed, if it's over any church leaders, it's not gonna yield to the Holy Spirit. It's not gonna follow the Holy Spirit because the uh, leader under the influence of greed is going to be scared that the congregation isn't going to like the agenda that the Holy Spirit has. So a church leader under, under a spirit of greed who's only concerned about keeping influence has a whisper in their ear that just says, grow the flock, keep the flock, grow the flock, keep the flock, grow the flock, keep the flock. Whatever you gotta do to keep people in their seats, do it. Whether it's shorter messages, shorter worship, cutting out certain passages of the Bible, it's religious lukewarmness and a spirit of greed over church leaders will funnel people into the agenda of a religious principality. And I believe that Satan has deployed these agendas over the city of Grand Rapids. And I believe that Satan has deployed this agenda as a direct counterattack to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit leads you to a great depth and intimacy with God that allows you to access the power of his God that lies inside his heart. Because like I said, his power, his miraculous signs and wonders is his personality being revealed throughout the earth. And when you know someone's personality, it's because you know their heart. And the baptism dunks you so deep into the Holy Spirit and into the Father's heart and he equips you to display his heart for all the earth to see. Jesus Christ's agenda is to get you saved, to baptize you in his spirit, and to have his ministry reproduced throughout the earth. A religious principality, the agenda of the enemy is to hijack you after you get saved, fill you with religious traditions and keep you from going deep. And its goal is for you to reproduce lukewarm Christians. Is Jesus Christ's agenda to dunk you deep into his heart so you reproduce direct encounters with people who didn't even know he existed. It's the agenda of the religious spirit to make you lukewarm and to make you reproduce lukewarmness to other people just because saving souls is something that Christians should do. No, no, no. The baptism of the Holy Spirit can't keep you from evangelizing. It can't keep you from demonstrating God. And, and I believe it's, it's just the word for the church in America that the, the counterattack that God has against lukewarmness in America is firepower. His counterattack against religion is firepower. 
Because when you're stuck in religion, the only things that you think you know of God are things that you never see for yourself. But when you're dunked into the Holy Spirit, you get to allow people to encounter the manifest presence of God right before their eyes. When you see God before your eyes, you can enter into his heart. And it's his intention to equip his saints in the same way that he was equipped. If the worship team, if you could make your way up here. About a, a year and a half ago, I, I was going to a Rise Shine conference and I just had this feeling that the Lord was about to do something so intense in my life. The last couple of weeks at church, when I was worshiping, it just felt like I was floating. I was like, God is doing something in my life. And as we were on the way to a, ch a church conference, Pastor Matt said to me jokingly, he's like, you're gonna be speaking in tongues by the end of the weekend. I was like, okay. So when I got to this conference, I started crying out to God. I was like, Lord, I know there's more to you than just being saved. There's so much more. Lord, will you take me into the depths of what you wanna do in my life? And he started addressing things in my heart that I was keeping in front of him. And I believe when you reveal your heart and you lay it before God's and you say, Lord, do with it what you will. I'm desperate for your fire. I'm desperate for your Holy Spirit. One of the first things the Lord will say to you is he's gonna give you the list of reasons that you have on why you actually don't want his fire. So as I cried out to God, he started addressing issues in my heart that I had held above his. He started addressing pride. He started addressing lust. He said, Micah, if you're crying out for more of me, I need you to understand that more of me actually means less of you. Micah, when I fill you with my spirit and I equip you with my power, I'm going to shrink you. And here's the things that you currently don't want to get out of the way. So I cried out in desperation. I said, Lord, I want your fire. I want your power. I want your heart to be revealed all over me, Lord Jesus. And, and he just kept doing a work in my life of moving and shifting these things. I just started putting things on the altar. And I started asking myself, because I, I felt like the disciples did in John 20, they got saved. They had already cast out so many demons. They already healed the sick so many times. They could have done a great job if they didn't go to the upper room. They could have still had successful ministries. They could have still been relatively close with Jesus after he ascended. And, and I'm just wondering, if God told you to go to a room and wait, would you last 10 days? It took 10 days for the fire to fall at Pentecost. The room was filled with Christians. The people leading the prayer were Christians. The 12 apostles already had Jesus in the flesh breathe on them and receive the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus himself said, go and wait for my fire to fall. And I'm wondering, would we wait 10 days if all Jesus said to us is wait? How long would you last? How long would you pray? How desperately would you cry out? Because I'm certain that in a 10-day span of praying, the disciples were confused. They got angry at certain moments. They got sad at certain moments. They might've thought the promise isn't gonna be fulfilled, but they remained so faithful. And I'm certain throughout that 10 days, the spirit of the Lord was addressing issues in their own heart. Because they were probably wondering, what if I go home right now? What if I go back to my wife? What if I go back to my job, my old way of living? Because Jesus may have just abandoned us. Or maybe it doesn't really matter if the fire falls. I'm already know I'm saved. They chose to wait 10 days and it changed the world. And it birthed 
the church. And I'm wondering what happens to the church in Grand Rapids if we get the revelation that the church actually wasn't birthed the moment the disciples got saved. It was birthed the moment the fire fell on the saved disciples. I'm confident everybody in this room is saved. But I'm more confident that the Lord still wants the fire to fall upon his children. He wants the fire to fall upon his bride. It's his promise, it's our testimony, and it needs to be our expectation. I'm not gonna settle for being saved. I'm not gonna settle for my Christian walk is just about having high character. I'm not gonna settle just for spiritual fruit, even though that's what I need, that's what I'm getting, and I'm letting the Lord press me and develop that fruit. I also wanna demonstrate his power because it's a promise that he wants displayed through us. So what happened at this conference is I cried out and I cried out and I cried out. We were there for 12 hours and I'm praying the whole day, Lord, I know there's more, don't keep it from me. Fill me up, please, I'm begging you, God. I wasn't ashamed to say it, I said, Lord, I wanna speak in tongues. Not because it's cool, not so I can be better than other Christians. I just forgot all those religious excuses. I said, I know this is a good gift. I know more of you is a good gift. So I'm going to cry out relentlessly and desperately until you give me more. Do you want to know what happened? Nothing. I went home and I went to bed. It was a two-day conference. So I came back the next morning and I started crying out again. I said, God, your promise is still true today and my request is still true today. I know there's more of you and I know there needs to be less of me. So will you fill me with your Holy Spirit and baptize me in the fire that Jesus was so anxious and excited about? And as we started our second day of the conference, I'm just worshiping and I'm worshiping and it's so loud in the room. You can't hear yourself talk. You can't hear anybody talk. And Pastor Matt comes over to me. He just puts his hand on my stomach and he starts praying and I lose control of my tongue. And I start to feel a cold flame start on my hands and it starts flowing down my entire body and it rests inside my stomach where Pastor Matt's hand was. It was a cold flame that was boiling the inside. And Pastor Matt didn't even know what happened. You can't hear anything. He just walked away and I'm talking like a baby. Been saved since I was five years old. I remember giving my life to Jesus and knowing that I was saved at five years old at Bayshore Camp. I'm not going to settle for being saved at five years old. I want to be filled with his power. I want to be filled with his fire. And he just doused me in a cold flame that changed my life forever. I'm not the same person that I was a year and a half ago. You can ask these guys, I've been stupid around them before. But it was over a year and a half ago. He's changed me forever. And if you want to come to the altar before I finish up, you can. But I am praying for an impartation of the hunger and the desperation that he's placed inside of me because I have a groaning on the inside of my spirit to see Jesus's bride lit ablaze. I'm only desperate because he is too. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire isn't just some side bonus thing to Christianity. It's a command that was prophesied about thousands of years ago. And it's our testimony today and it has to become our expectation. And I won't be satisfied until his bride is lit ablaze. And I'm telling you, he's willing to pour out his spirit tonight in greater measure. He's willing to pour out the flame on top of his bride today. When we were worshiping, I had a vision of the Lord's heart. And in the middle of it was this red dot and I couldn't tell what it was. 
and I was above it, but then I got taken next to it and I found that the red dot on the center of the Lord's heart was a flame and the saints were around the flame, bowing down and praising God because the flame was the Father's heart. And as they were worshiping, as they were worshiping and crying out for more of the Lord, more of the Holy Spirit, they were desperately worshiping God and saying, Lord, impart your heart, your fire, your power to your bride. As they were crying, I saw the flame explode and it lit every Christian who was worshiping it, it lit their heads on fire and they immediately ran the other direction and they lit everything they touched ablaze. I'm telling you, sitting next to the Father's heart, crying out for his flame, it's what they did for 10 days because it's what he told them to do. And as soon as they got that fire, it lit their heads up and they immediately went out and changed the world. They lit up everything they encountered. So I'm imploring you, I'm just crying out to you, I'm laying down my heart to you tonight. Saying, I'm no better than you, if anything, I'm much worse. But I just cried and cried and cried until he filled me with this fire and I've never been the same. He wants his bride's ministry to look like his ministry. And I don't care what you did yesterday. I don't care what you did earlier today. You're saved, you repent, you're in right standing with God. Therefore, he wants to fill you with his power so you can do ministry the same way he did. You don't have to behave for a certain amount of months. If he tells you to fast, then go fast. If he doesn't give you the fire right now, then so what, cry out another day. We need this fire to fall and we need the flame of the Holy Spirit to break the yoke of religion over the church, over his bride. He's desiring to see her set free with the Father's heart and with the intention that Jesus had when he came to the earth. So will you cry out with me today? Will you cry out with me tonight? Will you be part of those people who are worshiping the flame of the Father's heart and just asking it to get on them? I'll never forget the moment he set me ablaze. And I'm praying we get that encounter and we don't quench that fire and we move forward as he intends. You don't, have to, you don't have to ask God if he's calling you to do this. It's a command. He's desiring to give you that flame. He's desiring to give you that baptism. Jesus. Lord, I just pray for a hunger over us tonight, God. I pray for a just contagion over us, God. I pray you fill us with your spirit, fill us with your fire, fill us with your power. Lord, I'm asking for a bride that looks like the bridegroom. I'm asking for a bride who has a ministry that compares and exceeds that of the bridegroom, God. Lord, I want the church to be lit ablaze. I want you to come back to a beautiful, pure, spotless bride. So Lord, will you fill us with your fire? Lord, will we save souls, not by our new strategies, but by the old ministry of Jesus Christ in the earth? Will you pour out your spirit again, Lord Jesus? It's the testimony, Lord. And it's our expectation, God, for your fire to fall upon your bride, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your holy name I pray, God. Amen.